Let's have flat irons. Hey! I love you too. Hey, that song, uh, hang on this, that song says, we're not beautiful people. And don't get me wrong, you're good looking, all right? What it means is we are not the people who are on TV, we're not on magazine covers, we're not flying around the country in private jets, we don't have a million followers on Insta, we're just normal, average, typical people struggling through life trying to get some help. That's what that's about. We're gonna land on that today, so hang on to that. Well, if we haven't met, my name's Carl, and I grew up in Jim's youth group, so he had me come out here on uh, Mother's Day, and we learned the prayer together, Jesus help, amen. So I hope you've been using that. Had a parent come up to me and say, hey, we taught it to our five-year-old daughter. She prays every day now. And I said, and she thinks she, you are spiritual geniuses. And they're like, that's true. <laughs> I love coming out here. I love this church. I love this state. Whenever I get to teach anywhere, um, I kind of go on a basic assumption, which I know can be dangerous, but it goes like this. I believe you're here because you want your life to get better. And I don't know how you want your life to get better. It could be a job thing where you don't have a job or you don't like your job or your job doesn't pay you enough money or you're beginning your career and figuring that out. It could be a marriage thing where you're single and you just wanna be married or you're, you're married and you just wanna be single. Um, no, don't laugh at that. Uh, if you're sitting next to your spouse. Um, it could be... A kid thing, you're trying to get parent, uh, be, become a parent, you're trying to figure out how to parent. It could be a school thing, getting up for the, gearing up for the school year and maybe what to major in or where to go to college next year um, or what to do for grad school. There could be a million different things, but I think you're here because you want your life to get better. Even if you're one of the many people here who came in kind of reluctantly, like, well, I'm just gonna accept the invite so they'll stop inviting me. I can say I went once and didn't like it. I think you wouldn't be here if there wasn't like at least 0.1% of you that said, yeah, maybe Jesus can help. But here's the thing. For your life to get better, something has to change. Like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. If I wanna be somebody I'm not, Tomorrow, I gotta do something different today. If I wanna go somewhere tomorrow that I can't today, that means I have to do something. I have to change something. Here's the thing. We don't like change. Even good change is hard. We don't like it. I did see this thing on the internet I like that said, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. That struggle is real. <laughs> and just since we're on the subject, when you change the toilet paper roll, there is a correct way to do it, and it's when the toilet paper goes over, not under. <laughs> see, I knew I love this church. And if you're... And if you're one of the people who's not clapping right now, I have another picture to show you that is the patent of the toilet paper roll and it clearly shows the toilet paper goes over, <laughs> not under. So if you put the toilet paper under, you're a freak, but this is the church for freaks, so welcome. <laughs> but today I wanna talk about a specific thing we can do that would be a change for a lot of us, but that according to Jesus will make our life better. And when I mentioned it to the team, they were really excited for us to talk about it because this topic, if people get it wrong, this area just controls them. But if they get this thing right, Jesus will set you free in this area. Today, I want us to talk about giving. Now, I know what just happened. All the people who brought a guest for the first time are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. 
Like the one time my guest actually says yes is the one day the entire year at church we're talking about giving. You've got to be kidding. So let me just take a time out and talk to everybody whose sphincter just clenched. Today, <laughs> today is a great time to bring a guest. Today is a great today to be here. If you're new to the church thing, if you're skeptical of Jesus, even cynical of Jesus, if this whole thing you're experiencing at whatever campus or online is crazy to you, here's what's so great about this. You can completely ignore today's teaching and God's love for you will not change. You can completely ignore the teachings of Jesus when it comes to money and he will still love you more than life itself. Here's how I know this. Because the most important verse in this place for as long as I can remember, is Romans 5, verse 8. It goes like this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that word sinners, here's what it means. It means every time in your life where you knew, God, I know what you want me to do, I'm gonna do this instead. And you could have never read the Bible, you could have never been in church. You've had thousands of those moments. But that word still means Jesus looked at you while you were doing the worst thing you'd ever do, or the thing you don't want anybody to know, or the habit that you still persist in right now that is destructive to other people, and most importantly to yourself. And Jesus looked at you and said, I'll die for that, because I love you. And he loved us more than his own life. He died on the cross, taking our sin on him. And here's the deal on the table. If you want forgiveness, if you want freedom, the way I like to say it is if you want endless second chances, the only thing you have to do is have faith in Jesus. You just believe he's who he says he is and he keeps his promises and you've got it. You have endless second chances. And then once you follow Jesus, it's not like you gotta earn your keep. It's not grace when I come to Jesus, but then I'm on my own. It's not a bait and switch. It's not once I follow Jesus, then I gotta be perfect and act like a Christian. We've talked about that before in here. Today is not, now's when I feel guilty. Now's when I get kicked out. Now's when God's disappointed in me. God is never disappointed in you. It's grace when I come to Jesus, grace when I walk with Jesus, it's grace with money, grace with marriage, grace with my arrogance, just always grace. So if you are brand new here or skeptical of Jesus, I don't think it's an accident that you came for the giving talk because what you really need to hear is you can ignore everything for the next 20 minutes and God will love you the absolute same and that's worth thinking about. So if you came in beat down, failed again, cheated again, lashed out again, lazy again, Jesus has you, you have grace, it's still there, you are still his, he loves you and nothing you can do can change that. But if you're skeptical, I think you should consider leaning in because Jesus says what we're going to talk about can genuinely change your life. So if you are in debt up to your eyeballs, if you, uh, money controls you, if you never have enough money, if you spend compulsively or you hoard like crazy, I think you're gonna wanna lean in because I think if you apply what Jesus teaches us today, he's gonna set you free. So here's what Jesus says. He's going about his day one time and then uh, a guy named Luke records for us. Someone called from the crowd, hey teacher, Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, I know people tell me the Bible's supposedly irrelevant, so it's probably hard for you to imagine a society where people fought about inheritance and money came between family members and family members broke relationships because of fights about money, but just go with it, it happened in the Bible. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Translation, leave me out of it. Then he said, beware. 
Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story, told everybody a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And Jesus kind of adds, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. First, it doesn't say a person's a fool to store up earthly wealth. It actually says a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. In other words, money isn't inherently evil. You just gotta keep it in perspective. The way I say it is this, money's a tool. It's like a hammer. I can take a hammer and I can build somebody a house who doesn't have a place to live and that's a good thing, but I can take that same hammer and I can hit somebody in the head with it and injure them really bad and it'll hurt them. It's a tool. Nothing wrong with the hammer. So you're not a fool to store up wealth. The Bible talks a whole lot about planning and saving, but Jesus says you are a fool if your hope is in wealth and not in the grace of God. The other thing I want you to see is when Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. We said money's a tool. Here's how I'd say this one. Money's a drug. And drugs can be good. Drugs can take away my pain, but drugs can also be addictive. And when they're addictive, look out. You know this. They'll destroy you. So basically, Jesus is giving this big warning to this whole crowd. He's saying, listen, 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 listen. Money has so much power. And you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. It can be something that helps you or it can be something that controls you. So throughout the Bible, God over and over and over says, because money has so much power, he says, I want you to be generous with it. So here's how I want to flesh this out. I'll set up with a story. I was at the gym uh, not too long ago. I know you can tell. And um, I was doing a, you weren't supposed to laugh at that. I was doing a bicep exercise, kind of minding my own business. And there's a guy next to me working out, uh, minding his own business, not somebody I've ever talked to before. And out of the corner of my eye, I could kind of hear this happen. A guy that he doesn't know, and I've seen this guy do this before, walks up to him and says, oh no, man, you want to do this exercise like this and get the full extension so you work the, that part of the bicep. And the guy's like, no, no, I'm actually trying to do this. And he explains what he's doing. But the guy says, no, no, you want to do this. He goes, let me have the bar, I'll show you. And he's like, no, no, I don't want you to show me. And they kind of have this back and forth three or four different times before Captain Interrupter walks over to interrupt somebody else. But the guy next to me at this point is really annoyed and he starts just pacing right in front of me. And he's kind of venting to himself under his breath. And then I hear him say, I mean, I'm an Olympic athlete. So I had to speak up at this point. I said, you're an Olympic athlete? And he was kind of annoyed that he got busted. He said, yeah, I run track. I said, what do you run? What event? He said, the 800 for Nigeria. And I kind of looked him up and down. I was like, you look like you could run the 800 for Nigeria. You're lean, but just the right kind of muscle mass. I mean, you look like you know what you're doing. And the thing that struck me was this guy walked over. He didn't know his name. He didn't know his story. He didn't even know how he was trying to lift weights or what his end goal was. But he said, hey, I'm here to tell you what to do. That's not what I want to do today. Because <laughs> I don't know your story. 
And I don't know what experience you've had with generosity. Maybe you're super generous already. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've heard a ton of sermons about this. Maybe you grew up in a church that just guilted you every single week and this is the last thing you wanna hear. I don't know. So I'm not gonna tell you what to do today. Here's what I am gonna do. I've experienced freedom by following what Jesus says about this. So I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but I'm gonna tell you, here's why I give. And if you say, hey, I wanna run with that, good for you, but I'm not gonna tell you what to do, I'm just gonna tell you why I do it. Here's the first reason I give. I give so I know I'm growing. And here's what I mean by this, or why this is important, is in any area of life, if you don't know you're growing, it's really frustrating and makes you wanna give up. So if you have a dating relationship, if the relationship isn't growing, you kind of think maybe we should just give up on this thing. In your schooling, if you're not learning more and not doing good on the test, you think maybe I should just give up on this major. If you're not growing in anything, it's frustrating you want to give up. For example, I play golf once a year. <laughs> and I love golf. I love watching Tiger Woods. I love playing golf. But I got four kids 12 and under. So I don't have time or money to play golf because if you want to get good at golf, you got to practice. You got to go to the driving range. You need lessons. You need good equipment. You need to play a whole lot. And golf takes a long time to play. So I'm just not good at golf, even though I love it. It is the most maddening sport there is. So not too long ago, three guys I know asked me to come play with them. They're all older, meaning they have more money, meaning I knew they were, I knew they were gonna pay for me. So I said yes to their invitation. So we went out to... <laughs> We went out to play golf, and these guys are all better than I am, so we get on the first hole, and I'm just there to have fun. But on the first hole, I get a par, and I score better than all three other guys. So I walk off the green thinking, Tiger Woods, look out, here I come. You know how many pars I got the rest of the day? Zero. You know why? Because golf is stupid. You can clap for that. <laughs> In fact, not too long ago, uh, this was just a few weeks ago, after that happened, I was at uh, mini golf with uh, my seven and 10-year-old, and they're really competitive with each other. And my 10-year-old um, had this putt that was just like not far, and he missed it. But he just froze after he missed it. He didn't look up, and he just stood there for like a long time. And I'm thinking, what's he doing? Like, is he thinking? What, what's happening? He finally looks up at me, and he's got tears in his eyes. And he goes, this is a direct quote, Dad, who invented golf? <laughs> and because I'm a good dad, I said, Satan. Satan invented golf because he hates you. But my point is, if you don't experience improvement in any area of life, it's frustrating and you want to give up. And here's the deal with my following Jesus, is there's a lot of areas of following Jesus that I can't tell if I'm improving. Like, there's not a number on gossiping less. I don't have any data on the joy in my life. I don't have like a love meter on how I'm doing serving, serving the poor. But one thing I can point to to know I'm growing is my giving. The Apostle Paul said this one time, teach those who are rich in this world, and by the world's standards, that's us. Doesn't feel like it, but it is. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So I would never say that if you don't give, you're not growing. I just know for me, one way I know I'm growing is because I give. Second reason I give, not telling you what to do, I give because it helps me manage money better. 
I'm just a pretty basic guy. I'm not a very smart guy. I'm from Kentucky, so I'm a little slow on things sometimes. In fact, did you see uh, the video that went viral about the guy from Kentucky? You gotta see this, watch this. Neighbors along Patton Spur Road are still, well, buzzing about what happened. Well, I just had got done feeding my chickens, watering them and stuff, and I walked back to my house there to get my phone so I could play a video game on it. And all of a sudden, I heard a big boom. I looked back out my door and the electric pole fell and the lines were falling. He didn't know it, but he found out that there was a hive of bees that was located there. And there was a guy come out screaming and squalling and uh, running around about like a chicken with head cut off. Anderson then says they ran up the road, grabbed a hose outside his home, and started trying to spray off the bees. I told him they need to get out of that water, but say I didn't know he was getting eat up by bees. I thought he was just high. <laughs> you laugh at that, but that's my people right there. I'm a basic guy who needs some help. And here's the thing. <laughs> My team didn't know how to spell squalling, so they just kind of, you know. God teaches that the first principle in managing money well is to be generous. See, if you ask me, Carl, what would you say is the first step in managing money well? I'd say, well, first, get out of debt. Second, I guess, uh, you know, secure your place to live or live on a budget, one of those couple of things. But God says one time to these ancient farmers, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. He says, bring the best and first to me. So does God want me to get out of debt? Yes. Does God want me to manage money well and have a place to live? Yes. But God's trying to teach me this is a drug, man, and it'll control you. So the first step in money management is to have the right perspective, to recognize it's all from God. And yes, I worked and earned that paycheck, but God could take that away tomorrow. So the first thing he says is be generous with your finances, and it'll have a domino effect on everything so you manage it well. God says if you get this right, everything else with money will be so much easier. I like what... An author named Mark Batterson wrote, he said, God can do more with my 90% than I can do with 100%. And I've just found that to be true. And this is why, by the way, the message at Flatirons has never been, just give all your money away. The message has always been, we wanna help you manage all of your finances. So if you're skeptical of this place, be generous somewhere else. And if you're thinking, I'd love to be generous here, I just can't because of my debt, great, we're gonna help you. Saturday, October 5th, we have our next financial workshop and we're letting you know well in advance so you can put it on the calendar, sign up now, get it there so you can clear everything out and be able to attend. And this is for people whose money controls you instead of you controlling your money. If that's you, sign up for this. You will get practical help and you will get free. Now, next reason I give, and not telling you to give, just saying why I give, I give because I wanna teach myself to follow God. See, Jesus says this really interesting thing one time. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we try to reverse this. We say or we act like it's heart, then treasure, but Jesus says, no, it's treasure, then heart. 
And part of me wishes sometimes that it was hard than treasure because then generosity would be easy because I wouldn't have to be disciplined. I wouldn't need any kind of system. I could just wait until I was emotionally worked up. I'd give to something. It'd be done with it. My emotions would go away and then I wouldn't give to anything else until I felt emotionally, uh, my emotions struck me again. We wish it was emotions than action. We want it to be heart than treasure because it would be easier on us, we think, to give as our emotions led us. But here's why I'm glad Jesus is right. Because if it was heart, then treasure, guilt would be the best way to get people to give. If the best way to be generous was heart, then treasure, then anyone who wanted your money could just make you feel guilty. And people do this. In fact, there's this uh, commercial on TV uh, just in the last few years um, that did this a whole lot. It was on TV all the time. Do you, do you remember this? You're in the thing, and there's like a dog on her lap. And she's basically saying, if you don't give right now, every dog on the face of the planet will die and it will be your fault. <laughs> Just gonna let it ride. Comedian, comedian Jim Gaffigan was even like, the dogs are like, sir, it's a little heavy handed, don't you think? You can cut it off, please. We don't wanna hear any more of that. But here's what I learned, is I learned that campaign for that organization raised them $30 million. I think people just gave because like, if I give, will you stop hearing this commercial? But here's the point, is guilt can make you give for a while. But what that organization didn't think through is, hey, this may work, but then later we're just gonna have to make people feel more guilty all over again because the people who are attracted to this are just gonna give to the next organization that makes them feel guilty. See, emotion will make you eat healthy for a while. Emotion can make your marriage better for a while. But what happens with money is people just move on to the next thing that makes them feel guilty. A healthy organization does not use guilt to motivate giving because you'll just have to make people guilty all over again. And because Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. In fact, Gallup found this is true. Americans who give, as their emotions lead them, on average, give 40% less each year than Americans who pre-plan a percentage of what they will give. So what I need is a system. If I want something to change in my life, I need a system or it won't happen. For example, um, not too long ago, I went to this facility where they had um, this body fat test that was supposed to be like the most accurate body fat test and you walk inside this like circle thing and it does a 360 body scan and measures your weight and height and all this kind of stuff and then it spits out a number at the end of here's your body fat percentage and I've been running a little bit I've been lifting weights a little bit so I was excited to get this number and then it spit it out and I wasn't so excited anymore in fact I was texting with some buddies on my way out of this place and um, one of them sent me this picture and I replied and said Let's just say I'm not the 6%. <laughs> and I just turned 40 and in my head about getting old and not being healthy, I need to change some stuff. So immediately, like as soon as I walked out of that building, I'm like, I'm eating healthy starting right now. And I didn't tell anybody about it, didn't mention this to my wife, but I started eating healthy. And she can kind of see this, even though we don't talk about it, like I'm not eating the potatoes and the pasta, I'm passing on dessert. So about day two of this, she said, hey, I can tell you're eating healthy. What's your plan? And I said, well, I don't have a plan. I'm just eating healthy. And she goes, well, you know as well as anybody, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. I just thought, I'll show her. Because <laughs> I was motivated. And um, that conversation happened on Thursday. On Saturday, I drove through McDonald's and got a Big Mac. 
And it was awesome. <laughs> if I don't have a system in life, I don't do it. That's just how it works. It's why with money, I have my retirement automatically taken out of my paycheck. It's why I have as many bills on auto pay as I can. Because if I have to remember every single month, okay, I got to save this amount for retirement. And on this date, the cell phone bills due. And on this day, I got to pay my mortgage. I'm going to miss something. I got to create a system or it won't happen. That's why most of the people who give at this place give online. They put it on repeat, it's a priority, it's done, it's not emotional, it's not guilt, it's just a predecision they make at the beginning of the year or whatever, I'm gonna be generous. So here's the one part of today, I'm not telling you what to do, but I will make a suggestion. That if you want to join them, go to flatironschurch.com giving and create a system of repeating giving. And here's the deal, normally, we have offering buckets in the back, and at the end of every service, we say something like this. Hey, if you wanna give, there's offering buckets in the back, you can do it on your way out. But if what I'm about to say doesn't show you that this is a guilt-free day, I don't know what will. There's no offering buckets today. Like, they're not there. You can't give there today. And we did that for a couple reasons. One is, I thought it would be really weird to get up here and be like, hey, we should all give, and then the last thing you hear as you leave church is, don't forget to give on your way out. That just, I think, rubs us the wrong way. And somebody did say, well, almost half our offering comes in through those buckets. So we may be in trouble if people don't give online. But the ultimate decision was, let's just see how the people of Flatirons respond because we think they'll just be the people of Flatirons. But another reason for no buckets today is this, is I don't want you to just throw in 10 bucks on your way out and think that you're living out what Jesus teaches. I want you instead to create a system to follow Jesus. Because think about this. Think about the last time you got motivated to follow Jesus and you followed him for five minutes. What happened? Nothing. Because if you just do it for five minutes, it's not gonna change. So if this place is your home, I would encourage you to set up regular online giving at flatironschurch.com giving. Make it regular, make it generous, make it automatic. And this isn't a guilt trip, this is just here is a system if you want to live out what Jesus teaches and it will set you free. Last reason I give is I give because I want to be part of the church. And I know it's popular today to bash the church and listen, we could go around whatever room you're in and we could spend hours talking about how we all have all had negative experiences with the church. I get it. But I have this phrase I like to use when I see something good in the church that goes like this. I didn't cause that, but I was a part of that. What I mean is in John chapter six, Jesus says nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. So I can't cause that. But the Apostle Paul multiple times says that the church, when you're using what you have to let people know God loves them and create the community he wants for them, is a body, which means I'm part of that. So when I see something good in the church, I can say I didn't cause that, but I was a part of that. So anytime I see a baptism, I didn't cause it, but I was a part of it. Anytime I hear about uh, what's going on in Africa because of flat irons, I didn't cause that, but I was a part of that. Anytime I hear about people leaving here and buying one-way tickets somewhere else, I didn't cause that, but I'm a part of that. Anytime I see an Instagram pic of God behind bars, I didn't cause it, but I'm a part of it. Anytime I see a kid laughing in kids' ministry, and I, anytime I see someone genuinely feel welcome in this place, anytime I see, which happens every week, the guy walk in with his arms crossed, thinking I'm doing this one time to get my wife off my back, I know what's gonna happen is God's gonna plant something in him that makes him think, and I know I didn't cause that, but I was a part of that. So when I give... 
I know, I don't wish, I don't hope, I know I didn't cause that, but I was a part of that. And you know what this feels like. Because last December, Jim stood right here and he said, hey, Flatirons, I found um, an organization that is our heart and it's called God Behind Bars. And he said, the reality is there's a bunch of people who are just like this, just like us, the only difference is they got caught. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, that's not true, Jim. And then I remembered high school and I was like, oh, that is definitely true. (laughs) Um, And he said, what if we partner with them to say, hey, we're with you, me too, us too. And you gave $600,000 to show, yeah, we're with you. My question today is, what if you didn't just give when there was a special need? What if you practice regular generosity? See, Jim calls the church I get to pastor Flatirons East. And um, the reason is when we grow up, we want to be like you. And uh, the reality is I've had a bunch of experiences lately that make me think we're getting there. Um, where we are becoming like you. Because when the world looks at our church, they don't see um, a bunch of beautiful people. They see a bunch of broken, messed up, jacked up people trying to get through life, and the thing that's getting them through life is grace. For example, I have a guy I work out with a whole lot, and he recently told me that in the last, four year, uh, last two years, he hasn't gone four days without either looking at porn or using an app to hook up with a stranger online. But he's at our church, he serves, He attends every week because he needs and he gets grace. I have a gay friend who grew up in a church that used the Bible to beat him over the head and he said, Carl, the first thought literally when I wake up every single day is, God, am I an abomination? And so we get together for lunch as often as we can so I can remind him, hey, for all of us, it's not our sexuality, it's God's grace that defines who we are. I pastor a woman who came to Mosaic, got clean, got baptized, got involved, making a lot of wise choices, but then her baby daddy got out of prison and they got addicted again and she got pregnant again and making a whole lot of other poor life choices. She dropped off the face of the earth. I reached out to her and said, hey, haven't seen you in a while. And she said, yeah, I, I can't be there. And I said, no, this is the place you need to be. And she's back trying to th- figure things out, getting grace. I have a friend who last year watched his wife die of cancer, young. And um, he said, Carl, how's God's grace get me through this one? I said, Tony, I don't know. But he's with us trying to figure it out. I have a friend who said, Carl, I didn't commit suicide. I'm alive because of this place. That's grace. There's a woman who buried her husband after they overdosed together who just told me she's 60 days clean. That's grace. I have some friends who are trafficked against their will who are in church every week because they need and they get grace. You know what the world calls us? Not beautiful people. They call us outcasts. But you know what outcasts need? Grace. So let me just land the plane here. I was reading uh, my Bible, kind of my daily reading couple months ago now, and frankly, this chapter I was reading was really boring. I was like, God, why is this in the Bible? And um, I came to this one phrase I'd never noticed before, and it was a new name of God to me. And when I say a name of God, what I mean is in God's story, what you see from time to time is when God interacts with a person in a unique way, they will then name God in response to that, and God will provide for someone, and then they'll say, you're Jehovah Jireh, you're the God who provides for me. 
Or when Jesus is born, it's God come to earth. So they say, we're gonna call you Emmanuel, which means God's with us. So I came across this new phrase and I looked it up in the Hebrew language, even though I can't read that. Um, and it looks like this. And if you could speak Hebrew, the way you'd say it is Adonai, Yehovah, Kavatz, Nadak. Can I get stuck in your throat? But here's what it means. The Lord God who brings back the outcasts. The God who brings back the outcasts. So every time I see a video of prisoners being set free, no matter where they happen to be at the moment, I know I'm working with the God who brings back the outcasts. When I see a tattoo wall, I'm reminded, God who brings back the outcasts. When I go to Crucible, God who brings back the outcasts. When I mess up again, when I manipulate my wife, when I'm a horribly mean dad, when I fall to that same thing again, when I get to that place where the voice says, Carl, just give up. You can't do this. I need Adonai Yehovah Kalvatz Nadach. I need the God who brings back the outcasts, because that's me. And Jesus says, you are not too far gone. You've not messed up too much. You are not too addicted. You are not too drunk. You are not too divorced. You're not too anything. He says, I'll bring you home. He says, I'll give you heaven. I'll give you the church. I'll give you a better way to do life right now that'll lead to freedom in some areas that have been holding you captive. And that's why I'm generous. It's not because I have to. You don't. But because I want to be part of this. And grace is for you regardless of what you do with your money. So if any part of today rubs you the wrong way and makes you not want Jesus, then just ignore it because Jesus wants you more than he wants your money. But if you want to be able to say, I didn't cause that, but I'm a part of that, take a chance and see what happens because we are not beautiful people. We're outcasts. But praise be to God who brings back the outcasts through Jesus. Let's pray together. God, the thing I'm most excited about today is it doesn't matter what we do with money in that you will still give us grace. And that blows my mind because that's not how I do relationships. But God, I need that grace. And I have some things in my life that I need to get better. I need you to make better because I've tried. And God, in those quiet moments when I'm alone, I know I'm the outcast. I know that name isn't for other people, it's for me. It's for us. That's why we're here. So God, thank you for grace. Thank you for hope. Thank you for a church where we can walk arm in arm with people who are as broken as we are, but who get as much grace as we do. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you now because you are the God who brings back the outcasts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.